you'd have 10, 20, 30 bears in there feeding off the trash, but also fighting each other, you know, clawing each other. They were injuries to humans. I'm Lisa Morehouse, and this is California Foodways. I'm traveling to every county in the state, finding stories about food, agriculture, and the people that make both possible. Today, we're in Mariposa County in Yosemite National Park. Each summer, thousands of people camp and backpack in Yosemite. And you close this one first, and then you close that, and then you squeeze. That's reporter Marissa Ortega-Welch. She's an avid camper, and she's with me because I'm a little rusty. So it says, test by pulling up on the handle. When you camp in Yosemite and other parks with bears, you can't just leave your food out on the picnic table or in your car overnight. You have to put it in a weird contraption called a bear locker. Okay, I'm gonna put my whole toiletry kit in there. This is food, gum that has the whiskey. <laughs> Anything with a scent has to be stored in bear-proof containers. This problem of bears wanting to eat human food, it's a problem we humans created. Yosemite 871. We're out on patrol in Yosemite Valley with Ryan Leahy. I'm in the front seat, Marissa's in the back. Good afternoon, in service. Leahy looks kind of like a cop. Sunglasses, a uniform with a vest full of pockets. He's armed with a radio and binoculars. Leahy's a biologist. He's patrolling for bears. There are up to 500 bears in the park. Leahy and his team have put GPS and radio collars on a handful of them. Essentially, they have a radio frequency and we have the receiver. And just like in your car, you tune to 104.1 and classic rock, but here you get, you get a different bear. He's tracking a bear who's getting a little too close to a campground. The one we slept in last night. The bear's pretty close to here, too. There's plenty of natural food for bears to eat in Yosemite. But they've learned that swiping coolers and grocery bags is just easier. So Leahy and his team try to prevent them from ever getting a taste. 871, 875 on common. I'm getting called on the radio, sorry. Did you copy that traffic about the um, potential cub in Bradville campground? Negative. A bear cub and its mom have been seen in a campground. I'm getting another call, too. And it turns out there's even another bear down here in the valley. Leahy's got to get on this fast. I guess I'm surprised to hear that that you would respond so quickly. You wait a couple days. By then, the bear might have gotten food five times or ten times or jumped on someone's picnic table, you know. If there's a bear in the campground in the middle of the day going after human food, it's going to probably get worse fast. Okay, so now he's got three different bears to deal with. More than four million people visit Yosemite each year, most only for a day. Many are first-timers and don't necessarily know how to behave in bear country. And bears take advantage of that ignorance, which is why Leahy's got to go right now and drive to the other end of the park to keep these bears from getting into people's food. So how do we get here? In the early 1900s, Yosemite became a year-round tourist destination. Here's a promotional film from 1947. The Yosemite Valley is a magnificent gorge about seven miles long. This was a time before garbage trucks, before plastic garbage bags. Oh, it was crazy. So they, they would have a dump, and that's where the garbage would go. Rachel Mazur's chief of wildlife for Yosemite. 
She says the bears quickly figured out that they could go to the dump and eat campers' food scraps. And then the people running businesses in the park figured out they could make money off of tourists who'd love to see bears up close and personal. Profit off this, they'd put bleachers up, bust people in, have on spotlights, and you'd have 10, 20, 30 bears in there feeding off the trash, but also fighting each other. And basically becoming conditioned to humans and our food. The dump drew bears out of the wilderness into Yosemite Valley, and they started reproducing in larger numbers because they got so many calories from human food. Bears are very popular with park visitors and often are seen near the highway. Too popular. People got too close to bears and got injured. The park ended all bear feeding shows in the 40s and closed the dump in 1970. But you can't just close dumps and expect these bears that are food conditioned and used to humans to just sort of disappear back into the forest. You know, they picked up all these ideas. And so what they do, they went to the campgrounds. You know, they went to the housing areas. They went into the cars. They went into the trash. And there were injuries happening. And so the, the rangers were killing bears left and right. Nobody really knew what to do. So park employees started experimenting, creating special lids for garbage cans and metal lockers for campers to store food, with latches so complicated they were sure bears couldn't get in. But bears are super smart. They kept figuring out a way in. For better bear-proofing, rangers added carabiners and created new locker designs. Before Mazer worked in Yosemite, she wrote a book about the history of these inventions. She says the bear lockers were a great idea for car campgrounds, but then people started going backpacking. You had all these people out there going all over the place, having a great time, exploring, but all of them bringing food, and they didn't have a place to store it. George Durkee was there. He worked as a backcountry ranger in the woods behind Half Dome. <laughs> I'm reliving my youth here. Hundreds of people came to camp in this small area, and the bears started coming too. You would get five or ten people minimum having their food taken every night. People who were about to set out for weeks-long trips on the John Muir Trail. Some backpackers tried to chase bears away. Some started using their food as pillows. And uh, on the one hand, you want to say, okay, this is natural selection at work, but, you know, you don't want people to get hurt. (laughs) So, again, Durkee and other rangers started experimenting with different ways to hang food away from bears' reach. But bears dropped down from tree limbs to knock down food bags. The park even helicoptered heavy bear lockers into the backcountry. It's just one thing after another, uh, trying to uh, stay ahead of the wily bears. They tried everything, Rachel Mazur says. Finally, this idea of the canister came about. The bear canister. A portable container that holds about five days of food, something bears cannot open. It looks sort of like a drum. Anyone backpacking in Yosemite must use one. And we want to go backpacking. So before we do, we have to go to a busy ranger station to pick up a permit and have Lisa rent a bear canister. Have you used one of these before? No. The ranger tells us to put anything with a scent in the bear canister. So all toiletries. Yeah, all toiletries, um, anything that you can put on your body or in your body has to go in the bear can. There's a whole history to these canisters. Rachel Mazur says it started in the 70s with Barry Gilbert, a behavioral ecologist. While researching bears in Yellowstone, he was attacked by a grizzly. And he was just horribly mauled all over his face and required dozens of stitches. Later, watching a nature show on TV, he saw a frustrated lion pawing an ostrich egg. But its shape kept the lion out. 
And he just had this aha moment, like, what if we could do something like that? Gilbert's colleagues working in Yosemite made prototypes, testing them on bears at the Fresno Zoo to see if canisters would leak or break. And then there's the other side of it. Can humans open it? Can they fit their food in it? The best design canisters are easy for people to use, but keep bears out even though a few really smart bears have created workarounds. Like this one who rolled canisters off a cliff to break them open. And then climbed down the side of the cliff to get the contents. <laughs> Everybody, I know. The park had to close that area off from camping. The people on Mazer's team sometimes relocate young bears that have become conditioned to human food. Sometimes they have to kill them. Mazer says it's the bears who pay the ultimate price for our food problem. That's what's driven rangers and researchers over all of these years to make these bear-proofing inventions. The canister, the locker, I mean, all of those things were basically invented here in Yosemite. Was the problem invented here, too? (laughs) Um, I would say the problem was not invented here, but we sure did a good job of making it a tough one. So having heard all of these stories, now we're going backpacking in bear country. That's not easy. I guess that's the point. We're at the trailhead. Lisa packs and locks the bear canister for her first time. If I have a hard time doing it, hopefully a bear can't do it. As Marissa helps me get it into my pack, I realize why some backpackers really don't like this thing and wish it weren't a requirement to carry. It's way bigger than my sleeping bag. And your sleeping bag is squishy. Right. Which this is not. You are struggling to get that in your pack. I'm really struggling. And I struggled to get the pack on, too. And then kind of roll into it. Oh, that's, that's not nothing. We hike past a lake, find a place to camp for the night, we make dinner. Spaghetti with pesto. Then we clean up the dishes. I'm licking it off of my finger, frankly, because it's pesto. Pesto. (laughs) Food of the gods. And I have to drink the pasta water so we don't leave a trace of food. Lisa, I helped drink it too. Then we put everything back in the bear canister. That's it. The next morning we wake up and there it is, perfectly untouched. Sitting here in the morning sunlight. Like a little sentinel. Yeah. It's pretty, it's pretty cool. I kind of get it. With tons of education and enforcement and requiring bear lockers and these canisters, Yosemite's really reduced its human bear incidents from a high of 1,500 a year to under 50 now. And that frees park employees to focus on something other than bears, reintroducing endangered species, restoring sensitive habitat. But they have to stay on top of bear management. They can't afford to let it backslide. On our way out of the park, we stop in Tuolumne Meadows and meet up with Emily Johnson. She's a volunteer with the bear crew, and she's enforcing rules with campers. I'm Emily. I'm with Wildlife. Uh, Just want to make sure that your bear box is closed. Okay. Yeah, the rule is just to treat it like a fridge. So when you're getting into it, you open it, and then you just close and latch it when you walk away. Anything that could potentially attract the bear, he's literally across the river, and he, we just had to chase him out like an hour ago. So, yeah. Okay. Thank you. Then she has to make sure the campsite's dumpsters are secure. (laughs) Woohoo! It's good stuff. This is the majority of my job. This is? Yeah, pretty much. It's the people. 
they're the, they're the problem. <laughs> That's not the bears. Because she says we're in their home. That's it for this episode of California Foodways. It originally aired on the California Report magazine on KQED. The theme music is by Takanobu. We receive support from FERN, the Food and Environment Reporting Network, and from California Humanities, a nonprofit partner of the National Endowment for the Humanities. You can learn more at calhum.org. Subscribe to California Foodways on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Follow CA Foodways on social media and visit our website, californiafoodways.com. <laughs>